0: I'm looking forward to today's show with you. I've got Cynthia Dunbar. I've known her for years. She's a professor um, in government and in law, and she's going to talk about an aspect of what she's seen and observed in January 6th that she's writing about that I think is timely and everybody needs to know about. We're going to hear a scholar and a jurist approach to what you don't know about this insurrection language and what the government's using. And you know what keeps me buoyant and bouncy in all of the turmoil of life, I discovered something. There is a product called collagen. This collagen is is uh, has ten sources of it in this company that's called Ancient Nutrition, and they put this collagen in to uh, this blend they've got that you could put into smoothies, pancakes, oatmeal, cookies, any kind of recipe you've got, coffee even. And what it does is it produces an an impact on your body that's almost like. As you age, you lose something. This is one of those reverse aging phenomena where you can put it back into your system. Your skin becomes more elastic. The crow's feet around your eyes start to go away. Your hair starts to come in healthier and stronger and fuller. Uh, your nails, your, your joints begin to operate differently because the collagen deteriorates when you get older and you can put it in you with this particular formula. And so I want you to go to ancientnutrition.com and use Lance20 for your coupon code. I've asked them to give you 20% off so you could try it. I'm using it every day. Ancientnutrition.com, use promo code Lance20, get 20% off, and you'll find out exactly why collagen seems to be the big discovery that's happening this year. Now let's get into this interview with Cynthia. Welcome to the Lance Well Now Show. I'm so excited to be talking to you today. History. Is happening, and it's happening, uh, it's happening at, a, at, a, at a rapid pace the first weeks of this new year with the Taiwan election. you know that 40% of the world is going to be having elections of one sort or another determining <clears throat> their rulership? 40% of the globe is going to be participating in picking their leaders for the future. And it's, it's, it's a real time of, of let's say, uh, a, a moment when things are crystallizing. I'm happy to say that there are some indicators, for those of you that are apocalyptically apocalyptically distressed, uh, that the indicators that things might be shifting and God might be moving in the world seem to create uh, somewhat of a a more optimistic future for a period. Taiwan did not embrace going back to China or being united with China. Taiwan's election indicates that uh, the people have a strong desire to maintain their autonomy, their democracy, and their freedom. Argentina is a very strong Trumpian-like leader that has come to the surface there to take on the corruption and failure of the socialist um, elites. The same thing, I believe, is setting itself up in the United States. You look at how Joe Rogan, where his conversation's been going. You look at Elon Musk taking over Twitter at a loss and then rechristening it so that it doesn't have the interference of the intelligence community creating narratives, which is how they primarily used it in order to create news cycles. The um, and because Tucker is freed up, he has conversations there that he never would have had on Fox, and we're able to access that kind of information. He recently had uh, a congressman on, and I did I did an interview, I did a segment with Mario Murillo on it. And it was, as it Congress was on January 6th. And the fact that there was a minimum of 200, most likely many more, FBI agents plainclothes embedded in the crowd, and they certainly weren't trying to build a ring of resistance around the Capitol. They looked like they were facilitating access in. And as the Congressman said, you know, the Congress, that, that, that building's a maze. You could go, you could be there for years and still not know how to find somebody's office. It's not like all the offices have neon lights outside saying here's where Pelosi is. He said, someone has to lead you there. He said, these sheep are led. He said, the reality is America was, was set up. And this is a level-headed, you know, uh, congressional voice with a background in law enforcement saying that's what the data and the evidence looks like. So we're going to, we want to explore more of uh, what the truth is about what's happened in America because the more clarity we have, the more I think it's going to affect that 40% independent voter. I'm not worried about evangelicals. I'm worried about the independents because they could break in a different way and they're living in a different information vacuum. So let me uh, bring in someone that has an important contribution to make on this. Cynthia Dunbar recently wrote an article on the anniversary of January 6th why insurrection matters. Cynthia, could you uh, join us here? Glad to have you
1: with us. It's great to be here, Lance.
0: Tell us a little bit about yourself and what um, I, I know about your background, but how do you describe, you, are, you have a I think you are uniquely qualified to be going into the subject, but uh, what is your background and what got you into this?
1: So my law degree is from Regent University. I'm not going to tell you when because then you can guess how old I am. (laughs) But um, I have been studying and uh, writing on and teaching at the doctoral level about our foundations of law. Um, I taught at the law school at Liberty University and now teach at the government school um, at Regent. And I really, really feel like when we understand what I call God's heart for government, how government is supposed to operate, the function and the structure, and that's where we can best preserve our constitutional republic. And so I wrote this article because I was tired of the media throwing out this term insurrection, insurrection, or the the case in Colorado. And there's really no deep dive to go in and really determine what is this historically, what is insurrection? What does it look like, and how did it play out, if at all, on January 6th?
0: All right, so let's let's go there, because I'm I'm always amazed at how the uh, the audience knows in general, but then I share a kind of an ignorance with them, I hate to confess, in that I know that there's a doctrine of insurrection that had to do with the Civil War, and that somehow it's being tortured out of context and applied to Donald Trump, who has not yet been convicted of insurrection, nor is Jack Smith using that. But there's more layers of granular uh, content around that. So that's my, you know, sophomoric version of what the, the situation is. Phil, give me a little more understanding of what this definition of insurrection really means.
1: So, I mean, they're they're talking about Clause 3 of the 14th Amendment as far as how they're trying to say that Trump is not allowed to be able to be on the ballot, which that's a whole lengthy discussion and debate. I don't think how it was determined by the court in Colorado was correct. But basically, if you're going to look at a term, definitionally, I always taught that you need to have a lot of times in the statute, there will be clauses of definitions. Um, and where there isn't, you look for the definitions that are gonna be contemporaneous to the enactment of those laws. And so when we're looking at what was happening in you know, all of the surrounding civil war, it was because they, they just had a torn nation. And so they didn't want people just disregarding the new laws that they were putting in place. But the actual definition of insurrection, I took it out of Noah Webster's 1828 dictionary, which is one of the best dictionaries to have when you're trying to get accurate an accurate understanding of these uh, archaic terms. And the way that he defines insurrection is this, that it's opposition to the execution of law. So when you look at what happened on January 6th, what's really interesting to note, even if you don't understand all of what was happening, who was letting whom in, who was breaking down what barriers, you do know this, that what the Trump supporters were trying to do was to actually see the law be followed. They wanted the Electoral Count Act to be applied. They wanted the process to be able to question the certification of electors, to go through that process, to allow objections to be made. And as much as, you know, they've they've had all these people say, oh, well, the Electoral Count Act of, uh, you know, it was very obscure and we didn't know what it was saying. It's a really simplistic act. It basically just says that if you have one House member and one Senate member who was making an objection as to the, the these electors being properly certified, then there had to be debate on that issue. And it's very simple. I mean, Pence was supposed to go through it alphabetically. They were supposed to have, if there was any objections made, they could have a maximum, a maximum of two hours that they would debate this. So it's not this lengthy thing they tried to make it out to be. And we'll never know what the outcome would be from the law having actually been followed. And I'll tell you this too, Lance, what's interesting to note is they act like this is some archaic thing, but it was used in 2005 when Barbara Baxter was objecting to some of the electors with Bush and they went through the process then. So why all of the sudden... With the Trump election, is this something that can't be used, can't be understood, and we're not going to allow the people to actually go through the process? So there was no insurrection from the people who were supporting Trump because they were the ones actually advocating for the law to be followed. The ones who won out, the ones who are really guilty of insurrection, are the ones who made sure that that whole process got shut down. And
0: that— Accords exactly with what my experience was. I was there. And uh, and so um, I was there and listening to Trump's speech and listening to Giuliani and listening to the constitutional scholars. I was there when Trump uh, said, we're going to now march peacefully, uh, you know, and, uh, and go, you know. And, and so I was, I was there the whole time. It was like a parade. I could tell you being there was, there was more than, it there had to be at least a million people. I mean, I've been in groups of hundreds of thousands. There was, I think it could have been a million. It was an election fraud protest and a prayer rally with an appeal to God that there would be righteous intervention done in order to debate the legitimacy of the results because certain states were showing up Uh, challenging those results. We were hoping for, at the best, not just a couple of hours, the guys in the street were hoping that there would be enough of a case made that there might be a couple of days for legislators to come back and clarify whether or not, like Pennsylvania, whether or not they had legitimate electors to count. Now, that may not have been what would have happened, but that was what a lot of us that were laymen were up there doing. And I'm in the rank and file of the movement, so I know what I was representing. And I know that I, wanted, I walked my way through about uh, six blocks of people. That's why I know there were so many people there, because I was late to the, um, to the VIP seating. And so I had to go through the crowd. And that's how I knew the crowd, the disposition of the crowd, because I just told people, hey, I'm media. I just said media, I made it up. And then people parted. <laughs> It was left and right. It wasn't like a mob. They parted, like it was like it was Moses going through. And I just waved at them, and some people recognized me and high five. and we our way through. That was the crowd I saw. Now, there was about 10 guys I looked at that looked really weird, like they were dressed like they were G.I. Joes, and they didn't look to me like they, they, they were up to any good. So I figured out of a million people, you're going to have some oddballs. But, I mean, the summer of riots tells me that that's not a novelty in American cities. So I knew that everybody there wasn't, wasn't uh, you know, a shofar-blowing Catholic. But I also knew that the number of people that were suspicious weren't actually in the group I was with. They probably were—they uh, were probably already at the Washington Monument there. They were—while Trump was talking, there was already stuff going on. So there were people that weren't there to hear Trump. They were there for other reasons. And I believe that's the part that needs to be investigated, the role— of of the FBI and others embedded in organizations facilitating and fomenting action that would disrupt the proceeding so that they could call it an insurrection. I didn't mean to go that long, I just saw my clock. Let me take a quick break, I wanna come back to you. Does that that scenario that I'm describing make sense to you? And have, have you heard that from other people? And we'll be right back after this break. I wanted to take a minute to talk about one of my great heroes of the faith, which is Mike Lindell. What's really cool about Mike is it's not just the pillow. It's the fact that the guy makes really cool products. For instance, I start my day off with a Mike coffee. I had a cup of coffee uh, the other day here in the office, and I said, no, I want that. It wasn't like Starbucks, it tastes better. And it was Mike's coffee. I said, what is it? They go, Mike Lindell's coffee. I said, my gosh, get a bunch of my coffees. Now, the best way to start the day is you put on these slippers, right, and have your Mike coffee. If you've not worked with these slippers yet, I'm not kidding you. There's a special kind of a design that Mike has uh, put into these, with four layers of cushion with a solid sole and a fur interior. I call it my sip and slip strategy. I start my day off by slipping on my slippers and having a sip of Mike's coffee. But you know what else I'm curious about now? Because I've got to check out the 2.0 pillow. The 2.0 pillow actually is designed so that it distributes the heat of your own head, your face, you know, you're lying there, and it, it uh, makes it so the pillow's always cool. Now I like that, because I wake up in the middle of the night and have to flip over my pillow because it gets hot. Might solve that problem. I want you to go to mypillow.com, promo code Lance, because you can get a discount that I've set up for the pillows, for the coffee, and uh, for the slippers. And do it today, you'll be happy. i right, so uh Cynthia, is that does that perspective that I'm giving you um match what what you've run into with with various people involved with this
1: yes, and i and I think that's where if we understand what insurrection is and we're applying it to this particular set of facts where you had a group of people really wanting the law to be followed you know there it's not like it would have opened up to any type of anarchy because there's a process that was there in the electoral count act which has now been replaced by the electoral uh, count reform act but they had to not only have an objection in both houses the house and the senate they would have to have debate they would have to have majority votes in both chambers it can only go so long. And so it wasn't like there would be any kind of opportunity to override a valid election, which is how the media tries to paint it. So, and, and what's also interesting to note, Lance, is that when you're looking at these terms like insurrection, Daniel Webster or Noah Webster, he actually likens it to sedition, and that's a very important term, and it's one I think we need to talk about a little bit here because sedition is a a crime, and historically it was a crime that was used frequently in the Crown and, and Star Chamber to basically try to keep political dissidents at bay, to control them, so that you could completely dictatorially control the narrative. And that's why we actually have First Amendment rights. Um, we have the First Amendment right of freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of press, which all of these, by the way, I do have to note, these are what I call individual positive liberties. These are liberties that each individual has, their God-given rights, their unalienable rights. And they're positive, meaning it's not a right to not be offended. It's a right to actually speak out according to the dictates of your conscience. And it wasn't the fourth estate like they talk about, like the New York Times or the press. It was actually individuals being able to speak out both orally and in writing, which is why there was the crime of seditious slander or seditious libel. And so there's a long history of how the founders actually pushed back against the crimes of sedition because they wanted the people to be able to be free to speak against the ruling authorities in order to protect and preserve their liberties.
0: Yeah, and there has to be a certain, like, um, um, a way of expressing that frustration or it boils over into revolt. And so people have to have an outlet. They have to be have a way of redressing, addressing their grievances. Tell me about John Peter Zenger. And how does he tie into this whole issue of freedom of speech?
1: So it's a very important case. In 1735, John Peter Zinger was actually being tried. This was, you know, Britain was controlling the colonies at the time for the crime of seditious libel. And what the judge tried to do is limit it to where they were instructed. The jury was instructed to basically you have to find if John Peter Zinger wrote this and if he wrote this whatever the the, uh, publication was, then he's guilty of seditious libel against the crown. Well, the jury did something really amazing, which is what the colonies always allowed and what we had until like 1895, the jury said, you know, we're not gonna just decide the facts, we're gonna decide the law. And we believe this law criminalizing seditious libel for speaking out against the king is an abridgment of our liberties. So they, they ruled him not guilty. And what's interesting is who his defense attorney was, was Alexander Hamilton. And he did an impassioned speech on the rights of the jury to decide not only the facts, but the law in order to be a check on any kind of egregious laws that were infringing upon our liberties. And this is in fact how the right to trial by jury was viewed at the time of our nation's founding. It's actually why... We see um, after, you know, the crown was like so upset about this ruling that they took away the right to trial by jury. And that was one of the grievances that was actually put in the Declaration of Independence as to why we had to separate from Great Britain. So this whole framework of understanding how the crime of sedition was not supposed to chill the ability of people to speak out. How the right to trial by jury is actually supposed to allow the juries to decide not only the facts, but the legitimacy of the law. And when you remove all of that, which we've done in our current society, that sets up a perfect storm for potential oppression.
0: Well, and wouldn't you say that we're already, um, we're, already we're already down the road in terms of that potential suppression? And it comes in various forms. So when I have a million followers on Facebook, but uh, a friend of mine with 100,000 has more people see a video than I do, my people, and I, I end up with you know, 8,000 views and they've got like 20. When I have uh, 200,000 people on YouTube and uh, I get an award from them one week and then they, they knock my channel down and lock it up and take all my subscribers the next week, I mean, there's there's different kinds. That's corporate suppression, but that's based on, you know, corporate policies that are political. The government's like right around the corner with that. What do you see as the future of constitutional law? Where is this heading?
1: Well, I mean and when you're talking about this, yes, it's corporate, but it's more than that because when you look at any kind of benefits that are coming from the government to these entities, these corporate structures, it almost becomes governmental censorship. Ah. And that's a huge problem because that is the exact definition of why they put, you know, first amendment rights in place, is Congress shall make no law respecting because the government is not supposed to be chilling or censoring our speech. So I think what I'm seeing and is and, and this is as I go around the nation speaking and, and that and and Right now, I'm in sunny California where everybody's like, oh, it's so liberal, it's so liberal. But what I'm finding is that people around the nation in all different demographics are starting to wake up to be concerned about how do we best preserve our republic. And we need to not take any demographic out of the picture as to who we're messaging to. I love the fact that, Lance, you started out about that 40 percent. Because I think, you know, our message resonates. If we can give it away, if we can articulate why we want to protect and preserve First Amendment rights, because everyone should be able to speak out according to the dictates of their conscience. And when you have any kind of governmental suppression, that sets up the groundwork for anybody in any group to be oppressed Depending on who actually gets in control, and nobody should be comfortable with that.
0: Well, the uh, you're 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 absolutely right on that, and you know I don't think people are aware of the fact that, from my perspective, I've been with uh, First Liberty or America uh, Alliance Defending Freedom or looking at um, you know Jay Sokolov's group, the number of Christians that are courageously practicing law that are going to the Supreme Court and defending uh, the average Joe from, including Joe Kennedy, from, from the overreach of government, the tyranny of power. Most of these guys that I've, I've observed that are taking those cases are doing it because of a personal value system. Do you, are you, you're aware of this, right? The number oh, of yeah. lawyers that back up from working for Trump, working with Trump, because of the risk of losing customers, clients, and even in some cases, look, in Fulton County, they're gonna disbar or they're gonna challenge the legal right of lawyers to even be able to, to work with Trump and, and hold them guilty because they're part of his case. They're, the chilling effect on law as right. a profession is has gotta be recognized, and it's as dangerous as defunding the police because the police protect you from one kind of a criminal, but the lawyer protects it from a more sophisticated and, I would argue, danger, more dangerous criminal. Um, so uh, what are your thoughts on that? You're at Regent University. I mean, what kind of advice do you give aspiring legal professionals, given the reality of what I just said?
1: So really, I think that's where we have to understand, "Render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, and unto God that which is God's. I mean, at that point... At that point where we're actually going to see, do we have to take a role of civil disobedience? Are we going to weigh the cost? And when you're in that place, you have to make that decision that you're going to do what is right and what really represents protection of liberty for all people. It's what I call doing, you know, God's heart for government, because when we do government according to God's principles, it works. And it's really the only framework of government that preserves religious liberties and freedoms for all people. I mean, think about it. Lance, when you, when you take away an unalienable right created by a creator God that all people inherently have at the point of creation, and you move into a secular humanistic society, there is no objective rights that have to be preserved. And so it's dangerous for anybody of any faith to really whether they're Christian or not, doesn't have any bearing on the fact that they should be wanting a Judeo-Christian framework of law and government that actually believes in protecting these unalienable rights. And I can tell you this, it comes to the point where if you don't stand up, it's only going to get worse. And you have to decide when you're going to get into the game. And I mean, I've been speaking out about this for years, and I've had You know, numerous death threats that you get, but you you weigh the cost, and you're like, at the end of the, you know, my life, I want to be in that place of God saying, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And what I do see is these young legal minds coming up and they're so they're so desiring to make a difference. You know, millennials and Gen Z get a lot of grief a lot of times, but everything I've seen is they're like Don't tell me something wrong if you're not going to give me something that I can do to make it better. And that type of mindset really encourages me because it means that they are going to be culture warriors as long as we equip them with the truth.
0: All right. I'm with you. Cynthia Dunbar, how do people get in touch with you? How can they follow you and stay connected?
1: So they can go to the prophetic professor at resranch.com. And I have a bunch of videos on there of uh, just understanding our liberties. And when they go on there, they can email me at profprof at resranch.com.
0: What a neat handle. The prophetic professor at resranch.com. We'll we'll get that on the lower thirds for the visual audience. The rest of you looking up Cynthia Dunbar, uh, you'll enjoy D-U-N-B-A-R. You want to take a look at what she's writing, what she's saying. She's a force to be reckoned with and someone you're gonna hear more from in the future. Cynthia, thank you. For the rest of you, I look forward to talking to you again next week, bye bye. What happens if a natural disaster takes place? We have these weird tornadoes that hit in the Midwest and in Texas, but look at the hurricanes in Florida. People can literally have their uh, houses flooded or they're in a situation where they have no food or access to groceries. Everyone needs at least a four-week emergency food kit, and fortunately, my Patriot Supply has created a four-week emergency kit. And these products will last for 25 years. The interesting thing is they give you a 2,000 calorie per day uh, meal, and that's the key: delicious and 2,000 calories a day, because that's what you're going to need to sustain yourself for four weeks in a crisis. We had the uh, a winter freeze here in Texas, of all places and we had a couple of days where we had no electricity. I'm telling you something, this makes a huge difference. Mushroom rice pilaf, fluffy rice and mushrooms, seasoned with red wine and herb. And then how about starting the day off? Maple Grove oatmeal, old fashioned oats, maple flavoring, with a pinch of brown sugar. This is what you wanna do, four week emergency food kit, and that's just for you. Think about your children, guarantee, somebody around you is gonna need help, You're going to want to at least have the four-week emergency kit. Go to LanceWilman.com forward slash Patriot. Use that link, and you're going to get a special discount on their special four-week emergency kit promotion. Did you enjoy this latest episode? Please remember to share it with your friends, because the more knowledge you have, the better equipped you are to navigate the world.